One of my uh, favorite things back in high school was walking into the classroom and seeing somebody different sitting there at the teacher's desk. <laughs> I'd go, hmm, who's that? A substitute teacher. So I'd walk over to my desk and sit down, stretch my legs out, put my books away and say, yeah, this is going to be a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, hey, guess what? This morning you have a substitute teacher. <laughs> or should I say a substitute preacher? So today's going to be a little bit different. So sit back, stretch your legs out, relax, don't fall asleep. <laughs> and um, if you are good, maybe I'll let you out a little bit early. <laughs> Pastor Steve has been preaching a series through the book of James. And I have to say it's been an awesome series. It's really been incredible. And I really learned so much. So if you can, pick up a copy of the CD. Uh, and if they're not there, see me or, or Bob, and we'll make some extra copies for you. Because the, the sermons have been incredible. You can also find them online at uh, oldoak.org. Uh, you can just listen to, to them in your car and whatever. They've been really, really good. So, um, But last week, Pastor Steve was preaching about living faith. And the main point of a sermon was this. Our Savior should so capture our hearts that our faith in him is not mere words, but no holds bar living for him. Our Savior should so capture our hearts that our faith in him is not mere words, but no holds bar living for him. So in other words, Faith that doesn't prove itself in works is no faith at all. We are justified by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. Faith in Christ will always be evidenced by good works. So today I wanted to kind of continue on that same path. And so we're going to look at a familiar character in Scripture, one that we sang about in Children's Church and in VBS, and we'll be looking at a story in the book of Luke about a man who was considered to be one of the most depraved sinners in the area. He was hated. He was despised by his fellow countrymen. But when he met Jesus, he became a different man and everything changed. So turn with me, please, to the, uh, the Gospel of Luke and that's in the Red Pew Bible in front of you. We're going to look at chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. And you'll find that on page 878. This is Luke 19, verses 1 to 10, on page 878. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. 
And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be a guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's word. Now, the main point of our sermon this morning is this. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And we should respond by receiving him. And our lives will give evidence of a changed heart. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We should respond by receiving him, and our lives will give evidence of a changed heart. So our basic outline is this. In the first part, we're going to deal with the compelled sinner and the compassionate Savior. And in our second part, we're going to deal with the transformed sinner and the powerful Savior. And hopefully when it all comes around, We're going to see that salvation is, again, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, a salvation which produces a changed heart and is evidenced by good works. So let's begin. We're going to take another look at verses 1 and 2, and these are going to give us some good background information. Verses 1 and 2. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold... There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So the first thing we want to ask is, who is this he? Well, this he is our main character. And it is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Messiah. Emmanuel. The Ancient of Days. Alpha and the Omega. The Son of God, the Son of Man. Jesus is not just the main character here in our portion of Scripture. He's the main character of the entire Bible. From creation in Genesis 1 to the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation 21 and 22. This whole book, the whole Bible, is about Jesus Christ and his plan of redemption. So before we start talking about the supporting actor, though, we want to see where our story takes place. And we notice in our verse that it takes place in the city of Jericho. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, do you remember anything about Jericho? Do you remember when Israel had crossed over the Jordan River and the first thing they came to was Jericho? And how God had instructed Israel to march around this city six days. And on the seventh day, they had to march around it seven times and at the end of that they shouted and blew the trumpets and the walls came crumbling down and the city was utterly destroyed but that's this jericho how did it get rebuilt and as a matter of fact joshua through the lord pronounced a curse on anyone who would rebuild this town but in fact it was rebuilt and this is the city that jesus was walking through it was a cursed city And yet the Lord of life honored it with his presence. And that's because the gospel takes away the curse. So why did Jesus travel through a cursed city? 
He was on the move. He was going to Jerusalem. And as he explained to his disciples in the previous chapter, Luke chapter 18, and several times before that, he said, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. And the saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So Jesus was going to Jerusalem for the Passover, where he would give his life as the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the ultimate, final sacrifice. But on the way, he had some souls to save. And that's why he was traveling through the city of Jericho. Now, our supporting actor in this story is a man named Zacchaeus. So, who is this Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. <laughs> he climbed up in a sycamore tree. For the Lord he wanted to see. <laughs> and when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. I don't know the song. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, but a happy man was he. For he had seen the Lord that day, and a happy man was he. A very happy man was he. That's what we taught our kids in VBS and in Sunday school. All right, but what do our verses say? Well, the first thing we find out about Zacchaeus was he was a Jew. Zacchaeus is a Jewish name. Zacchaei was a common name among the Jews. Well, secondly, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government, the government which oppressed the Israelites. He collected taxes or tolls, and he sent them to Rome on behalf of the Israelites. Now, everyone hated tax collectors, especially since oftentimes they cheated or defrauded the people out of their hard-earned money. And tax collectors back then were seen as traitors, as the vilest of sinners, the deplorables, the despicables. Thirdly, not only was this Zacchaeus a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector, like a district manager. So in other words, he was ruler over other tax collectors that worked in the region. So obviously, he was a man of advanced status, and relative power and privilege. He probably rose to that rank by being more devious than the other uh, tax collectors. And this would have made him even more hated. The fourth thing we see about Zacchaeus, and it says plainly that he was rich. Now at that time, Jericho was a prosperous city. A lot of trade went through there. And so it would follow that Zacchaeus would have his hands on a lot of money a lot of money which he pocketed for himself. And the verse says flat out, he was rich. So as we look at verses 3 to 5 now, we're going to come to our first point in the outline. A compelled sinner and a compassionate Savior. So verse 3, as he was seeking to see who Jesus was, 
but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. And so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. So we want to ask, why on earth would Zacchaeus, a Jew, a tax collector, a ruler, and a rich guy, want to seek to see who Jesus was? I suppose we could assume that he was just curious. Curious. He had a great curiosity about who this Jesus was. So he must, must have heard some great things about Jesus in the area. He was probably asking, what kind of guy is this? A great teacher? A healer? One who heals the sick? One who raises the dead? Casting out demons? Restoring sight to the blind? Cleansing lepers? Forgiving sinners? Who is this Jesus? I have got to see him for myself. And isn't that kind of like human nature? Isn't that like us? When we know somebody or heard of somebody famous, don't we want to see them in person? We think of uh, rock stars or country singers or professional athletes. Sometimes when you go down to the stadium, you see all these people lined up for an hour waiting to get an autograph from one of their, their uh, professional athlete um, idols. Okay? I remember... Um, Long time ago, we went to see George Bush. I think it was at Baldwin Wallace College. It was when he was running for a second term. And I just was so excited to see somebody of such stature. You know, George Bush, President of the United States. It was really cool. Even though I was way back in the gym and could hardly see anything, the fact that I was there with George Bush in the, in the flesh was just awesome. And so I think it had to have been similar with, with Zacchaeus. Here... This great Jesus was coming through Jericho, and he just had to see him for himself. Now, it's good to note that he's not interested in just seeing Jesus. He wants to know who Jesus is. He's compelled, a compelled sinner. Maybe you're here and you've heard about Jesus, but you never really met him. So we invite you today to find out who he is like Zacchaeus did. And we want to help you with that. But there was a problem. And our text says, on account of the crowd, he could not. So Jesus was probably traveling with a large entourage of pilgrims going to the Passover in Jerusalem. And on top of this, at the end of chapter 18, Luke tells us that on the way into town... Jesus came upon blind Bartimaeus. Now, here was this blind beggar sitting by the road, and when he heard that Jesus was coming by, he started screaming, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the guys around told him, be quiet, be quiet. And he would scream all the more, and Jesus heard him. And he had him stand up, and he said, what do you want me to do? And blind Bartimaeus said, Lord, that I would get my sight. And Jesus said, Fine, your faith has healed you. And at that moment, Bartimaeus saw, and he went crazy. The crowd went crazy. And so imagine all these people, when they saw this miracle of the blind seeing, they joined in this entourage going through Jericho. So all these people gave praise to God as Jesus was parading through the sea. 
the streets. Now, when you think about it, the people in Jericho heard Jesus was walking through town as well. So they were probably lining the streets on both sides. And from the whole way that he was going, it was just nothing but a mass of people. And when I thought about this, I was thinking about the city of Cleveland when the Cavaliers won the national championship. Now, I was not brave enough to go downtown, but I watched some of it on television. And there were 1.3 million people downtown lining the streets to see the Cavs, to catch a glimpse of them. And the streets, they said it was just like walls of humanity, and they were packed solid. You couldn't even get through them to get closer or even to get away from them. It was just compressed human flesh. And it must have been like that in the city of Jericho. All these people lined up to see who this Jesus was. Now, on top of this, it, we are told that Zacchaeus was small in nature, in stature. And I think most people assumed that Zacchaeus was short. Now, as I was thinking about it, maybe he was a dwarf. I tried to find the Greek for it, but I don't read Greek, so I couldn't really tell. But everyone, I think, assumes that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, okay? And so there was, therefore, no way that Zacchaeus was going to be able to see over these taller people that were, that were lined up and down the streets. So Jesus wasn't like the calves. He wasn't riding in an open-air bus above everyone so that people could see him. He wasn't like the Pope riding around in the Pope mobile, okay, so people could see him. He wasn't uh, being carried around like some hero on the shoulders of men. He wasn't sitting on a, a magnificent steed parading through the city. He was like one of us, kind of lost in the crowd. And so Zacchaeus, however, would not be deterred. He had to see who this Jesus was. And so we're told that he ran out ahead down the street and he climbed up this sycamore tree just to see him for he was about to, about to pass that way. Now, when you think about it, Zacchaeus was an adult, adult male, and he ran down the street like a little boy, and he climbed up this tree like a little kid. I don't know if you ever did, but when I was a kid, I used to love climbing trees. We had these big maples in the backyard, and uh, I don't know why, but I would love climbing up all the way to the top. I'd be like 50 feet up in the air, and I would just sit there for a while and watch. You know, it was pretty cool. So, however, as an adult, I probably wouldn't climb trees let alone a man like Zacchaeus, who was some famous chief tax collector, probably wearing royal robes. Can, can you imagine how shameful it was, how humiliating it was, or would have been for a man like this to shimmy up a tree and hang there with his feet dangling? So, but Zacchaeus didn't care, and his persistent paid off. So the one who would, who would want to see Jesus was seen by Jesus. The one who would see him was seen by him. And here we talk about our compassionate Savior. Our compassionate Savior saw this man Zacchaeus. And the verse 5 says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Jesus went right up to this tree where Zacchaeus was hanging. He looked straight at him, and he called him by name. The compassionate Savior was on his way to fulfill his ultimate mission in Jerusalem, but he had to stop to seek and to save the lost. 
and he called him by name, Zacchaeus. For he knows his chosen by name. Are they not written in his Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world? And it's like Nathaniel. Remember when Jesus called Nathaniel? He was studying scripture underneath a fig tree. And Jesus said, before, before you were underneath the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel said, well, how do you even know me? Well, so it was with Zacchaeus. Before he even climbed this tree, Jesus knew him because he is in the book. And so Jesus told him, hurry and come down. And when you think about it, everyone who Jesus calls must come down. We have to come down from maybe our high horse. We have to come down from the branches that we're up in. Everyone has to humble himself and not think about climbing to heaven by any righteousness of their own. So we have to come down. And Zacchaeus mustn't hesitate. He must hurry and come down. Without being asked, our compassionate Savior offers himself to be a guest in his house. Think of it, the house of a sinner. Well, Zacchaeus doesn't need to think about it. He doesn't need to think about whether or not he should welcome such a guest into his home. And nor does he think, not today, my house is a mess. In Zacchaeus' mind, this was an honor far too great, far too above what he deserved. And as for Jesus, this moment was urgent. I must stay at your house today. And reminds me of a couple of scriptures. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So when Jesus calls to us, we too must make haste to answer his calls. And perhaps... Some of you have been hearing Jesus call, come, come. Well, you should, like Zacchaeus, hurry, come down and meet the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. Well, this love, this compassion, this mercy should make us want to praise our awesome Lord and Savior who has an infinite readiness to receive, an infinite ability to save, and an infinite supply of grace. And now we come to the final part in our outline. A transformed sinner and a powerful Savior. Verses 6 to 10. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Well, think of it. Zacchaeus, a despicable sinner, must have been overjoyed to have the honor put upon his house 
and he received the Lord. And this receiving the Lord was an indication and a token that Zacchaeus received the Lord into his heart. It seems that it was at this very minute when the Lord sent into the heart of Zacchaeus the renewing grace of his spirit. And he put him among the children of God. If there were ever a soul sought and saved without having done anything to deserve it, that soul was Zacchaeus. What springs of joy, what fountains of love, what eternal riches and blessings flow into the heart when it opens up to receive the Lord of life. But verse 7 presents another problem. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now crowds have mood swings. This crowd was celebrating Jesus Christ who was going through the city. They were excited. The Messiah. And now they see Jesus call down Zacchaeus to eat with them. They hated Zacchaeus. In their blind pride, they couldn't see what possible righteous purpose Jesus had in visiting such a notorious sinner. And they thought holiness meant being separate from sinners and shunning them. And they thought if Jesus really were a prophet, he should have nothing to do at all with the likes of Zacchaeus. So they all began to grumble. And that kind of speaks to us. We need to be careful not to judge whether someone is worthy of the Lord or not. Yeah, he's too much of a sinner. Forget it. When we feel someone is unworthy of God, we actually insult that person, and we insult God. We, we discard that person long before God ever would. And we, like this crowd, put ourselves in the position of questioning God. Instead, we really ought to concern ourselves with our own unworthiness. What's true of Zacchaeus is true of us all. We are all sinners who have been fallen short, who have fallen short of the grace of God. We are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. Furthermore, a grumbling crowd is a dangerous crowd. It turns on you. A grumbling crowd is a sinful crowd, since grumbling against the Lord is a sin in and of itself. And just like when Israel grumbled against God in the wilderness, this crowd proves its own sinfulness as they grumble because of Zacchaeus' sin. Now, not everyone's going to be happy when you follow Jesus. A godly person would rejoice to see you turn from your sin and follow the Lord, but not everyone in the crowd, though religious, knows the Lord personally. And so it can be difficult to live down your past, especially when crowds know who you were and what you did. But never let the crowd keep you from Jesus. Never let grumbling people interrupt your chance of getting to know the Lord. And finally, here we see Jesus is a powerful Savior. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? In fact, it happens in, this, in the chapter before the one we're reading. This rich young ruler came up to Jesus and he asked him, What must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And so Jesus listed five of the commandments, and this young man boasted. He said, I've kept all those since I was young. But Jesus, seeing into this man's heart, told him one thing he still lacked. Jesus told him, sell everything, give it to the poor, and follow me. But the rich young ruler would not because he valued his possessions more than he valued Jesus. So Jesus stated to his disciples, he said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so in our story this morning, Jesus proves that he is a powerful Savior. God demonstrates the possible in the salvation of this rich man's life, Zacchaeus. God can call people from all their idols, from a lifetime of sin, and from the habit of abusing privilege and position and others, and he can turn such persons to himself making them new creations in Christ. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And so here we have an example of the point that Pastor Steve made last week. Sinners are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and they will always give evidence of their conversion. And that evidence we read in verse 8. So Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus is not trying to buy his salvation here. No amount of money can pay for your salvation. No amount of good works can earn salvation. But rather, Zacchaeus is demonstrating his changed heart by his giving. When a person is truly repentant, One way it should affect them is how they view and use money. At the very least, money is no longer their God. Jesus Christ is. So they don't look to cheat people any longer. They look to bless people with their money. They become givers rather than takers because they've been set free from greed and idolatry. A converted man is a generous man. So when a wealthy Christian begins to distribute his riches, when an extortioner begins to make restitution, we may well believe that old things have passed away and behold, all things are made new. So think of this. Zacchaeus stood up and he stood before the Lord and he made a proclamation. And so there was a definitive decision in that speech. He didn't speak of future intentions. He said, I give, not I will give. He said, I restore, not I'll restore. He must have felt freely pardoned and raised from death to life. He couldn't begin soon enough to show whose he was and whom he served. The Lord didn't require this of him. The Lord didn't even ask him to give half of his wealth away. Zacchaeus offered to give it freely and willingly. And generously. And it was even far beyond what the alms of the law had stated. 
The Lord didn't require him to restore the money to the people he cheated. Zacchaeus offered to do that on his own, and he offered to restore it fourfold, which was double what the law required. This, too, was evidence of his changed heart. So you see, Jesus saved Zacchaeus, and as a result, Zacchaeus proved that changed heart by offering to give half of his wealth away and restoring fourfold those who he cheated. So I was thinking about those of us who are here, who are in Christ. What kind of fruit do we give? How do people know that we are changed, that we are the salt and the light? And so I grabbed a copy of our membership covenant, and I kind of went down and I rephrased things. And I thought, here are some ways that we can show that we are creatures in Christ, new creations. And the number one would be love God's word. Read it. Study it. Love it. Can't get enough of it. Number two, turn away from sin. Repent. We all have those little sins we like to hold on to. Repent from them. God hates our sin. Three, come together at church. Anytime, every time the church is open, every time we have a, a worship service, we have a Bible study, we have a men's group, a women's group, come. Come with the desire to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. Love it. Change that, eh, I gotta go to church to, I get to go to church. Number four, pray. Become people of prayer. And more than, and now, Lord, I lay thee down to rest. More than God is great, God is good, and we thank him for this food. Pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. Pray for the church. Pray for the gospel message. Number five. Seek peace and unity. Do you have a grudge? A grudge is a sin. Seek peace. Seek unity. And what that would require is humility. Number six. Here's a fruit. Watch what we say. Isn't it easy to get trapped into gossip? When you hear something about somebody, you just spread it. Let's let our words be positive be encouraging, be enriching. Let's not speak evil of one another. Number seven. Here's a tough one. Love one another. For love is of God. He who loves is born of God. He who doesn't love is not born of God. Beloved, love one another. Number eight. Teach our children to love God. You know, from the time they're little, read to them, pray with them. And even if they're teenagers, teach our children to love God. Number nine, be compassionate. Weep with those who weep. Joy with those who joy. Be compassionate. Number ten, Ooh, submit. Submit to a Christ-exalting ministry 
by supporting and upholding the preaching of the Bible, the right administration of believers' baptism of the Lord's Supper. Submit to the authority in the church, the elders, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Number 11, here we go. Be a giver. Be a giver of our time. Be a giver of our energy. Be a giver of our strength. What can I do for the Lord? Be a giver of money. Be a Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus didn't say, Lord, I'm going to give 10%. He offered to give half. The Lord is not telling us to give half of our wealth away. He's not even telling us to give 10%. He wants us to give with a joyful heart. Because he, if we hold on to it, it's going to fall through our fingers. But if we let it go, the Lord will send it back. So we have needs here. Look at the needs we have. We have needs in our church. We have needs with brothers and sisters. When you see someone in need, meet it. Isn't that what the book of James is talking about? If you see someone hungry, someone who needs clothes, give them some money. Okay? Don't expect it back. Number 12, be an ambassador for Christ. Tell people about Jesus. Somewhere, Zacchaeus heard about Jesus. He heard amazing things about him. He had to see for himself. So we tell people about Jesus. I have a Lord who forgave me for all of my sin. Before, I was just a nasty drug addict. I was a drunk. I was a party animal. But when Jesus came into my heart, he made all things new. And now I'm a new creation. He can do the same for you. Be an ambassador for Christ. You don't have to be, you don't have to have a master's in divinity. You can just simply say, Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sin. You could hand somebody an invitation for life explored. Say, come with me. Let's find out what the most important things in life are. So these are some ways, if people, if people in our community see us doing these things, they're going to say, that person is different. I want what they have. We'll be like a Zacchaeus. Jesus is different. I want what he has. Okay? Well, finally, finally, the powerful Savior proclaims this. Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. On that very day, Zacchaeus was saved from God's judgment of sin. He was saved, and on that day, he became a true son of Abraham. We studied it last week. Remember, Abraham is a son of God because of his faith, not because of works. He was justified by his faith in God, not by the fact that he was willing to sacrifice his son, not by a work. Well, the same thing happened with Zacchaeus. He believed the promise of God, and he became a son of Abraham, a person of faith. So if someone were to ask you, well, why did Jesus come? 
Here's the perfect answer, and it's from Jesus himself. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. Well, the funny thing about being lost is you don't even know you're lost. Isn't that true? Especially men. If we're driving, we don't really know we're lost. Or at least we won't admit it. Okay? We were uh, in Chicago once. And uh, I had dropped Donna and Steve off. It was a beautiful day. We were, went on a boat ride. I, I went underground to this parking garage. Okay? And then I had to find my way back. I did find them. And then after this great boat ride, she said, go get the car. <laughs> okay, so I went down these steps. And underneath, there's all this construction. And there's um, this gigantic parking lot that I think is the size of Chicago. And lo and behold, after about 10 minutes, I did find a car. And I got in it, and I didn't know which way to go. My GPS didn't work underground. So I'm driving along, and I, and I, I came to a dead end. I was lost. I, I turned around. I went another way. There was a construction zone. I couldn't go. I turned, and then I saw cars going, and they started going faster and faster. I said, maybe that's the way out of here. And all of a sudden, I'm on this freeway underground, okay? <laughs> and I cannot get out. And I saw an exit go by, and I saw another exit go up. I'm 55 miles an hour underground, okay? And I'm lost, and I'm freaking out. And I finally found this ramp that led me up. And here I am, I'm 20 minutes away from where I was supposed to be. I called Donna, I said, I'm lost. I'll find my way back. But thank God, GPS worked, okay? <laughs> but what does it mean spiritually to be lost? We are all lost apart from God. We can't determine how we got where we are or how to get back where we've been. And we're surprised at our spiritual location. Maybe we've been lost so long that we don't even know we're lost. We don't even know where home is. We could be so separated from God that we forget that we were made to be with God in his kingdom. Face to face in his love. Lost people are people who cannot find their way to God because of sin. They've lost their way, and they are lost to God. But our gracious, loving, heavenly Father sent his Son to find them. Not only to seek them, but also to rescue them and to bring them safely home. Just like the way Jesus came to seek and to save Zacchaeus. And Jesus still comes to seek and save the lost. Are you lost? Will you answer his call and do it today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for that song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Thank you for all the teachers that taught that song to our children. Because I know adults that still have that in their hearts. Because it speaks of seeking the Lord and it speaks of the Lord seeking us. Lord, how gracious and merciful you are. The fact that you wouldn't just shun us or destroy us because of our sin. The fact that you loved us even while we are yet sinners. That you died on the cross for us. So that those who would could be saved. It's the only way. Lord, we thank you that you saw us before you even made a thing.
and you wrote our names in the Lamb's Book of Life. We thank you that you sent us the Word of God. We thank you that you sent us a preacher, maybe. We thank you that you sent us a witness, an ambassador for Christ, someone who told us that we were lost because we probably didn't even know it. And we thank you, Lord, that you found us and that you saved us. So, Lord, if there is anyone here today who is lost, may today be that day that the person is saved by your grace through your blood. And this we pray for your glory and honor. Amen.